At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements, and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, along with my very good friend, Chico Resch. Welcome to another edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. And my friend, the listeners know that you were part of the first team to play as a New Jersey Devil entity. You came over from Colorado. You were there at the Meadowlands when the New Jersey Devils were born. And today we're going to have a chance to speak with someone who joined you on that trek from west to east, Aaron Broughton. Very excited to hear you two exchange some stories and relive some memories. Well, if you're old enough, the, the Broughton family was is legendary. Of course, Neil on the 80 Olympic team, but also brother Paul played in the NHL for the Rangers. Uh, Aaron's been a good friend uh, our whole career, so we experienced those first years. Uh, and it was it was a wild time, not only be a New Jersey Devil player, but the fans and what they went through. And and Aaron felt that. So um, he'll have some good stories, Maddie, and, you know, just his background overall. He's he's very articulate. So uh, it's going to be a good one. Looking forward to speaking with Aaron Broughton on Speak at the Devils. They call Detroit Hockey Town USA. But people here in Minnesota in the 60s and 70s would probably consider Rosso, Minnesota, hockey town, at least little hockey town, USA. A lot of terrific players uh, came out of that uh, little town. Many of them made it to the NHL. But, Bratzi, could you just talk a little bit about the culture and the atmosphere or the pride of that little town that uh, produced so many players? Sure, I I, I can. But uh, the the people in Warroad might get a little bit upset because Warroad is technically hockey town. Oh, did USA. I say Warroad? No, no, you said Roseau as hockey town. You said Detroit, oh, okay. but then you said Roseau is probably really, but Warroad ha- has that has the trademark hockey town USA. So uh, we, we don't want to try to steal their, their thunder. And there's plenty of players that have come out of Warroad also. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it's, it, it was a unique town, you know, a town of a little over 2000 people and, you know, back when I played or back in the sixties, there was, you know, people just, they, they just wanted to play hockey. So we, I mean, we spent a lot of time. That's what we did all the time is, is the, the day kind of revolved around uh, going to school, coming home from school, going to the rink and spending as many hours as you could uh, at, at, at the rink. Uh, that's where we learned to play. And, and like I've told lots of people, it was, uh, we had two, indoor rinks we didn't play much outdoors uh it was too cold and and windy really to play (laughs) outdoors so we we played indoors technically but the 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 rink where where we grew up playing was just a steel shed uh you know with with a with some boards inside it was probably 
50 feet wide by 150 long. So, you know, it wasn't a regulation rink, it was a small rink. <clears throat> and if there was four people that came to ho open hockey, you played two on two. If uh, there was 10 people, you played five on five. When somebody else showed up, uh, you put them on a team. Uh, you know, if you didn't want to play, you kind of had to get out of the way. Uh, and that's that's how we we kind of grew up playing hockey. I mean, we had organized hockey uh, like most other places, but we it, it wasn't like it is now where it's it's you know you've got uh, you might have five peewee teams, you might have five squirt teams. Uh, back then, it was one. You know, mm -hmm. if you didn't if you didn't make the squirt team, or you didn't make the peewee team, or you didn't make the bantam team, you uh, you played in you either play on a, what, what we call Saturday morning league uh, or Thursday night league for the older, older people. So, uh, you know, people, there, there wasn't, weren't as many teams, but uh, I mean, we played hockey all the time. So, you know, that, just an aside, Aaron, those years you played high school hockey, did you guys, did Rozo beat world? Yeah, we clobbered them actually. We beat them, uh, <laughs> That's beat them, why I called it. We beat them 16, nothing one year. Uh, uh, and yeah, so we, 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 we beat them during those years. It, it kind of goes in spurts though, but, but mm -hmm. yeah, we, we won back <laughs> in those days. So, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of, you know, the growing up, I actually played on the first squirt team in Rozo. My brother, Neil, uh, uh, never played squirts because there wasn't a squirt team. Uh, so he, he played peewees. That was his first level of youth hockey and then uh, uh we played on the first squirt team uh in organized squirt team in rozo uh, which would have been i don't know maybe in 1970 or 71 something around there really i didn't know rozo came late to the party it wasn't like hibbing in virginia the other iron range teams that had teams back in the 40s i didn't know that oh no no i mean rozo had high school teams in the 40s and 50s but i that we didn't have a we didn't have an organized squirt team uh, and I don't know when the peewees started, but uh, you know the the squirt team uh, uh, didn't didn't start until uh, whenever I played on the first one, which would have been like maybe 1970 or 71. I don't know what age, nine, ten, I suppose, would have been then. So, but we walked to the rink. I mean, it was about three quarters of a mile to the rink, and we walked to the rink and walked back home, and you know we. We're able to stop in a couple places and warm our warm our bones once in a while. One was a, the little uh, entryway of a uh, the guest house, which was a restaurant, and then there was a, a grocery store that had a nice old man. Uh, Gordon Langley was his name, and we would walk through the front door of the grocery store and out the back door, and that was the last little warm up before you got home. So you got you got two uh, spots where you could warm yourself for a little bit because you know plenty of times when you were coming home at, at night at nine o'clock at night, it was 30 below and, and windy, you know, so you, you were, and you might've been a little bit sweaty and you were cold. So. Hmm. Yeah, Aaron, so. was the doors always open with, with, with the, the arena doors? Yeah, yeah, doors, doors, doors were always open. You know, we never skated, you know, past, I, I suppose nine o'clock at night or something, you know, but, uh, but yeah, the doors weren't, I don't think they could, not in the north rink. I don't think they could lock the doors. The the main rink, Memorial Arena, was built in I think 1949. It was a, a work a WPA project, mm. and so 
you know, that, that was a little different. That was kind of reserved for public skating and stuff like that. And lots of times there wouldn't be any, hardly any public skaters on there. So we would want to play on there, but they wouldn't let us because it was reserved for public skating. But, but we had the North rank and that's where we played all of our hockey, you know, we, other than once in a while you'd, they put a rink behind the school too for physical phi ed classes. I mean, just a flooded a, a part of the football field. But we never we never played there out, outdoors at all. Mm. We did skate on the river once in a while if it froze clear before it got too much snow, but that didn't happen very often. So so we didn't we didn't do much skating on the river. So way up well, north in Minnesota. I'm sorry, Chico. Oh, I'm just no, curious. I was waiting, Maddie. I just go ahead. I'm just saying way up north up uh, along the border in Minnesota, Chico mentioned the Iron Range. So what is life like up there? Or was it like, I'm just curious because some of our listeners are going, okay, I've heard of this great town and I've heard some of the other well-known towns uh, from that area. What was it like aside from the fact that sometimes it was 30 below and you were sweaty coming home from a hockey game? <laughs> well, I mean, where I grew up in Roseau, uh wasn't technically on the iron range like Hibbing or Duluth or, or those, you know, which were mining towns, you know, a lot of those places. Uh, Hibbing, uh, well, you know, th those types of places. Uh, Roseau had, our big employer was Polaris Industries. Uh, and if you're familiar with Polaris, they make snowmobiles. Now they make four-wheelers. Uh, they bought a boat company. Uh, so that was the big employer in town. So, and, and then Marvin Windows was an employer in Warroad. So, you know, we had industry there and Polaris did really well and, and lots of people worked at Polaris and, and it was a farming community also so it was a little different than than the mining towns of of, of Hibbing and Coleraine and, and and those areas so uh, but yeah I mean we had a small school obviously uh, I think we had a, about a hundred kids in each class you know or a little, little over a hundred sometimes uh, in, in each in each class so they weren't big so and it was kind of nice because everybody pretty much knew everybody you know you knew your friends and and people kept you accountable uh parents knew who you were wherever you went so you know you couldn't get away with much stuff because someone would know that knew your mom and dad or, or you know so there wasn't wasn't uh wasn't the ability to to kind of get lost or or, or not be found out so uh, but it was a great place to grow up uh you know the the town provided lots of uh, opportunities for kids, and they still do. Uh, it's still a nice town to grow up. We actually, when I was done playing in in '92, uh, we moved back in '94, and lived there for 20 years, and let our kids grow up there. And you know the kids can still golf free until they're 15 years old at the municipal golf course. So as long as it's a weekday, they can go out and play golf on the weekends. And after five, they got to play with an adult or, uh, but otherwise, you know, they can go out and play and, and you've got numerous tennis courts you can go play. And uh, they don't have the outdoor swimming pool anymore that cracked and they didn't replace it, but they do have an indoor one, but people don't really like that because they like to be outdoors. Uh, you know, so there's still tons of opportunity. Uh, sports are uh, affordable. You know, the, the hockey is still really affordable compared to a lot of places. 
uh, and all the other sports, you know, that, that people are able to play. So it's a great place to raise your kids. And it was a great place for us to grow up. Well, the next step, Aaron, was uh, high school. You guys had a terrific high school teams. And um, then it was on to college. Just talk a little bit about uh, that experience at University of Minnesota, because I know that was very special for you and your best friend and your brother. Yeah, well, both, I mean, both of them were high school and, and college. I mean, high school, high school hockey in Minnesota is unique. You're, I know you're well aware of that, that, that it is unique, but it's, it's kind of what every kid playing uh, youth hockey strives to do in Minnesota is um, maybe not necessarily now, but it was back then was to play in the state high school hockey tournament. And so it's unique that way. And we were, I was fortunate enough to play in three of them uh, as a, as a sophomore, junior and senior uh, never won a state tournament. We, we, we were undefeated two years in a row and, and number one ranked coming into the state tournament, but we always seemed to get, nipped by Edina and uh, so we we never did win a state tournament uh, and 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 then to get the opportunity to play at the University of Minnesota uh, you know I don't want to say it was a dream come true because I didn't really think about it uh, in really I mean I, I my mind didn't focus that far ahead I don't think at that age but when my brother Neil committed to the University of Minnesota uh, that kind of paved the way for the fact that that's probably where I was going to go. And so when, when he had committed the previous year uh, to play for the Gophers and Herb Brooks was a coach at that time, I was kind of set in stone that uh, that's, that's probably where I would play. And, and then to get that opportunity was, was great. And the, my freshman year, uh, which would have been the year Neil played on the 80 Olympic team, um, was kind of unique uh, because it, it, you know, I initially had planned on playing with them, but didn't end up playing with them. So I was kind of on my own for, you know, kind of the first time uh, previous to being a high school senior. So, and, and we had a good year. We lost to uh, Northern Michigan to get into the final four. And, and they had a pretty good team. They had Steve Weeks in goal and, and laid on defense and Bozek. I uh, was playing in LA uh, was their was their gunner up front. And, and so we lost to them. Uh, and then my second year, which would have been my sophomore year, Neil came back from the Olympics and he was the only player on the Olympic team to come back to school. So we were both sophomores at the U of M that season. And, and we had a really good team and made it to the national championship game again and, and got, beat by Wisconsin in, in Duluth. So that was kind of a sour note, but, uh, and then both Neil and I turned pro after that game. And, and then hockey's, you know, I don't want to say hockey changed. It was, it was still fun, but it was, it was different. You know? well, you were sure. drafted, sorry, Maddie. I just going to say you get drafted by the Rockies, yeah. right? Uh, Aaron, was that an exciting day for you? I don't even remember it, to be honest with you. I, I, you know what? I, I went, uh, what, sixth round, 100 yep. and whatever overall. So I don't think I was on ESPN. <laughs> I don't remember being on ESPN or, or any of the other, other things. I, I probably found out by a letter that, you know, uh, that, I, 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 that I was drafted uh, or, or I looked in the Star Tribune and, and looked, you know, down to see to see that I got drafted. But 
honestly, I, I don't remember the day I got drafted uh, and, you know, th that I was waiting uh, with my speech ready. That wasn't the case. So. But it, it, it must have been exciting to hear. But I get it. You know, you talk about a couple of things, whether, you know, the draft, you know, wasn't on ESPN. Um, you talk about some of the changes in high school uh, and the tournament. We know the Minnesota hockey tournament is as great as it is. There have been some changes as teams now gear up. It's not always the kids from the same town. But it's all happened in a short period of time, all these changes. You ever look back and go, wow, it was a far simpler time back then. Uh, and now it's a much more complicated situation with hockey. Yes, uh, many times. I mean, I I would maybe consider myself a, more of a purist or, you know, someone that would kind of like to go back to the way it was. But I, I know that's I'm also a realist and know that this, that's probably not going to happen. But. Uh, yeah, now you have, well, you have two classes uh, of, of hockey, uh, and I would probably assume in the future they'll have more than two classes because they have, you know, like five classes of football and, and, and uh, you know, th the classes are not A, B, C, D, E, they're A, double A, triple A, quadruple A, and five A, so they don't want anything to be not an A. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's changed. I think it's changed a lot, uh, you know, but as we go through, you know, when this generation is no more in that generation, some people won't know the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, even when you talk, whatever you talk, baseball, you talk, whatever, if you look at, you know, the way it used to be and you, you watch some of the old games and you watch uh, Yogi Bear or someone, you know, when they started or, it, it looks kind of slow motion and compared to what it, what it is today. So it's whether it's good or bad, everybody's going to have an opinion, but I, I, I would, you know, I, I don't like to, I like it, liked it the way it was the old way. Uh, but it's, you know, when you got down to the state tournament, the place was packed every night and there was a lot of excitement. Now there is still excitement, but a lot of the, a lot of the games have, you know, a few thousand people there and and it's 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 kind of diluted is what it is you know mm -hmm. uh, over the years yeah. but i i understand they want to give kids an opportunity to play and that's probably more important than what people think yeah uh, you mentioned the two years you had at uh, the university of minnesota and that year when your brother joined you i i looked up the numbers you had 47 goals in 45 games and you had 106 points <laughs> i mean those are gretzky mario lemieux like numbers what do you wh what was it like playing for your brother after he comes back from the olympics i mean the olympics uh not just any old olympics and he's playing alongside you uh once again well it was it, i mean it was exciting it was it was fun to fun to play i thought i was going to get to play i thought we were going to kind of have our old high school line together, which was Neil and myself and, and, and Brian Erickson, uh, Butsy Erickson. Uh, and we started out that way. We played a hall of fame game up in Eveleth. Don't know who it was against. I think it might've been against Michigan tech or something, uh, which was a preseason game. And we won six to something and we had all six uh, oh. goals. Uh, but uh, then uh, Brad Buto split us 
uh, early in the season, and and I ended up uh, uh, playing center ice that year. And Neil was a center iceman, and and so we played on different lines. Uh, but it, I mean, it was it was it was a fun year. Uh, Neil got hurt; he dislocated his elbow about three quarters of the way through the season, and came back for the national uh, tournament played with a, like a sling on his arm. And so he was a little bit, uh, you know, he wasn't a hundred percent, but he came back and played, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a great year. And, and I think that record still stands a hundred, 106 points. And, uh, and well, I know it still stands. I don't think it does. I know it does. So, mm. uh, but it was a good year. Uh, overall, we, we didn't win a, a national championship, Wisconsin got in the back door that year, which kind of was unique uh, in in the WCHA uh, to where you got a second chance if you finished at a certain level and, and they made the best of it. And Badger Bob's team beat us that night uh, and, and ended up winning. So, Well, Aaron, you talk about changes. Uh, you and I played together that last year of Colorado and just for the yeah. folks that don't know, I know you remember, Aaron, we're dressing in a mobile trailer. That's our dressing room out the back door. Remember, we had to walk outside, grab a towel, walk across the parking lot and shower. So I think, Bratsy, like you, I, I kind of felt this isn't probably we're not going to be here long. And of course, we could talk a whole podcast just on that last year. But then, Aaron, we came to New Jersey and, you know, there's only one first ever in, in life. And that was the first year of the New Jersey Devils. Tell us a little bit about your early impressions of moving to that big building, the Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey. Well, it was, I mean, again, I'll, I'll try to, to give you the things that I can remember. I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, training camp and, and training camp took place in Totowa, uh, New Jersey at uh, the rink there that I think now is a Home Depot or something. It's, it's, it's something, something else, but, uh, and we stayed in the, in, in the hotel or I can't remember what the name was, or it was close to there. Uh, I, I guess the, some of the biggest memories were probably some of the rookie games with the Rangers. I mean, it was, it was a different league back then. You know, that, uh, Chico, that, uh, things, things were different. And, and a lot of the, the highlights of training camp was the Ranger rookie games against the devil rookie games. And, and the, you know, who was going to prove to be the toughest because there was probably five or six uh, enforcers that were vying for position on either team. And it was always going to be, uh, you know, you, you knew that it was going to be a, an entertaining night uh, when, uh, when, when those games uh, started. And, and so, uh, you know, that rink was cold. I remember the rink being cold. I remember our equipment never drying. You know, we had pretty dingy <laughs> locker rooms there too, and and your equipment never dried. It was cold. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the practice facility that they probably have now. I haven't been in their new one, but it's probably a little bit different, I would assume, uh, than than it was back then. But it's it's what we had. Yeah. You know, I I distinctly remember our first two you know uh, trips out to Long Island and and into. Uh, New York to play the Rangers. We had a, a nice charter bus that, that had uh, uh, people that served you, you know, if you wanted a snack or you wanted something to drink. And 
but that didn't last for very long. I think it lasted about maybe a, a few weeks or a month or something. And then, and then that got next. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was, there was, there was a lot of things that, uh, were unique about that, that very first season. We were always in competition with the Rangers, obviously, uh, and the Islanders were in the, you know, in the prime of their, you know, four Stanley cups at, at that point when, you know, when we moved there. So, so there was, we were the, uh, you know, the new kid on the block and kind of got beaten up a little bit and there was more Ranger fans at the games and Devils fans. And so there was a lot of unique things that, that happened, but it was, it was, it was a fun time. It's, it's fun to be able to say, you know, you, you were the initial people that, that started, not started it, but they were the first ones there. Well, Aaron, uh, just an aside, I did do my homework for some by some miracle, we beat the Rangers three times that first year, which I, I don't know how that happened. But Aaron, you had a decision to make even where you uh, lived. And yeah. uh, uh, what was that like, finding a place in New Jersey and life in New Jersey? Uh, well, I, I don't remember how, how we found it. I, we we must have They must have had people set up for us to go to. But my very first season, I lived with Rob Palmer, and we lived uh, in West New York, New Jersey. So we lived in a high rise there. And so uh, and it, you looked right across the Hudson at New York City. So it was beautiful. I think we were on like the 13th floor or something like that. And you could sit out on your balcony and you could see the lights of New York City. And at that time, the, you know, the World Trade Centers were still there and, and you could and you could see the skyline. So for a kid coming from a small town in northern Minnesota, it was a pretty awesome sight. Uh, but it, it was, it was busy too. I mean, it was a, uh, it was, you know, you, you gave yourself plenty of time to get to the rink, uh, to, or to get to Totowa, uh, you know, it was, just, it was, it was right up route three. So it was kind of a straight shot, but it was, so you don't you don't have to make very many turns. Once you knew you got to the back to the river, you turned left and you went up the river and you were back at, at your place. So <laughs> it wasn't, there wasn't too many places and you didn't have gps or anything back then so you know if someone gave you an address or something of where to be you didn't just punch it in your phone and then the person told you to take a right and take a left and get there you had you had you had to get there so you had to give yourself a little more time but but it was it was fun people were kind of scattered around i think it took a few years for people to find out you know where they wanted to live. And once, once you knew that, you know, some people were living out West, you know, uh, and they liked it out there, more people, I think that gravitated towards out there, but then they changed the practice facility from Totowa down to South mountain. I think it was called South mountain. And, and then things changed again. People wanted to be a little closer to that. And I mean, we eventually ended up in Ridgewood, New Jersey, where we, you know, where obviously you were gone too, and back back then, and 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 bought a house there in 1985, and and stayed there for I don't know five years until I got traded. So that that kind of was our home in New Jersey, but we moved from West New York to Secaucus to the Harmon Cove Towers in Secaucus, and then we moved to uh, Cedar Grove, New Jersey, and rented a house one year. And then we bought our house in Ridgewood and, and were there from 85 to 90 until we got traded. So, Was there a moment when this uh, young man from a small town in Minnesota said, wow, 
this place is jam packed. Like you said, you had to take some extra time to get to a place, but the pace and everything did that take some getting used to. Yeah, it, it, it did take some getting used to. I mean, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, it's, I mean, you can get, you can get caught up in a, in a lot of traffic on route three or route 17 at certain times. And especially in the winter, because you, you kind of got bad weather in the winter a lot of times too. You know, it, it snowed a lot in New Jersey, you know, more than, I mean, I was used to a lot of snow, but it, it snowed a lot sometimes in New Jersey. So you, you had to give yourself plenty of time to get, get back and forth to practice and, and, and to the games. Uh, but I, I guess you, you, I mean, for us, and for being an athlete, the fortunate thing is that you, when you practice, you're, you 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 kind of don't have to go during rush hour. You know, practice might start at eleven in the morning or ten thirty in the morning, so you you don't have to. You're not leaving at seven in the morning, and you're not coming home at five o'clock at night. So it helped out a little bit that way. Uh, yeah, and, and you, Aaron, I gotta say, the first year there were a lot of disappointments, but I don't even know if Maddie would know this, and Maddie's good at trivia. But the original kid line for the Devils was formed. Aaron that year scored 55 points. He, he was the point leader. But people wouldn't even remember probably Jeff Larmer. He played what, right wing, Aaron? Jeff was yeah, right uh, or Larmer Larms played the opposite, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And Paul Gagne was, yep. Yeah. But, you know, I just looked it up. Jeff Larmer, 21 goals, 24 assists. He got 45 points, and then Paul got 29. But you guys scored 51 goals that year. We only scored 230. So you were just underscoring a quarter of our goals. But I can still remember it was the first hope that I had as a goalie that the future looked bright. Can you just talk about how that kid line came together and, and some fun moments you guys had playing together? Uh, yeah, I'll try to tell you kind of what what I can remember. I mean, I you know, uh, well, Paul was an original, you know, from Colorado. So I actually, uh, when I, I lived with Paul uh, when the, the year that I played in Colorado, so I knew I knew Paul pretty well, and and he was a a, a gifted player uh, with a with a very good uh, wrist shot. I you know, Jeff Larmer was a little more. Of a of a crafty player, kind of like his brother Steve, you know, to where he, you know, kind of slinked around out there and knew where to be. Probably wasn't the most fleet of foot, uh, but he he knew he was smart, uh, and, and he you know he was a he was a good line mate. So uh, myself and and uh, Jeff and Paul kind of complemented each other uh, real well. Paul, you know. Went to the net hard, uh, you know, played physical, uh, could score, uh, was, you know, probably got a little emotional at times and, and excited, where Jeff Larmer it was probably hard to get him too emotional. <laughs> uh, he was he was a little uh, more mellow, but, uh, you know, we things went well for us uh, and, and it was it was it was fun. And like you said, uh, Chico, it. it you know, there there were some there were some uh, glimmers of, of of light even in the mm -hmm. in the darkest years. Uh, we had a lot of young talent that either was gonna play with us with us or were playing with us. But you know, we had a lot of young kids that 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 came through that system that ended up being very very good players that you know never stayed in the system uh, for whatever reason.
you know, they got mm-hmm. traded uh, or, or something, but so. So Aaron, do you remember the last game, you know, the fans that stay, I don't know how many season ticket people there were, but we had that last six, game. Uh, I think there were six. Six thousand oh six. Okay. But remember, Aaron, they're going to have a fan appreciation night. And we went out after that last game. Do you remember anything about that? We were throwing pucks in the stands or giving our jerseys away. I don't know if you had any. Like like Nick Fatio throwing pucks. Uh, You know what? I I don't remember a whole lot about that. Did a lot of people stay? Yeah. Well, yeah. All six of them did. Yeah. Yeah. And they got (laughs) pucks. We signed them up for the next year. Season ticket. Well, you know, they they were good about that. The devils, you know, and doing, you know, the fan stuff and and the fan club and people, the people that were in the fan club were passionate. You know, I I remember uh, Grove and Rosemary, I think her name was, I mean, they were out there all the time and they made quilts for you and gave you quilts and, you know, different, different people. So there was a lot of passionate New Jersey devils fans that, that, uh, maybe hated the Rangers. That's why they were our fans. But uh, I mean, it was, it, it was fun to be part of it. I mean, I, I wish I could remember a whole bunch more, but you know, just age and, and not paying, <laughs> age and not paying attention catches up with you. <laughs> it does. It catches up with all of us, but you do bring up a good point. We were joking about how few fans there were, but you know, when I talk to the season ticket holders now who have been with the devils from the very beginning, Yes, some of them were Ranger fans, but they didn't want to go into Manhattan, so they found a hockey team they could cheer for. Some of them just kind of stumbled upon the game. Some of them were Jersey people who said, hey, this is a club that represents our state. And from that, you know, the Devils certainly have developed this passionate fan base. But those early years when there weren't as many fans, they were just as passionate. They, they loved this Devils team. They had This team had spunk. Like you said, he'd be entertained. It might not be a win, but there was going to be a fight. Kenny Danico would do something in the early going, or you'd score a goal. Some of the other guys would do their thing. Chico would certainly uh, be effervescent and was one of the guys out front in making inroads into New Jersey for this new club. So uh, there's a lot of great moments, even though they far outnumber the wins, unfortunately. Yes, the, the wins, the memorable moments weren't on the ice. But, you know, at the end of that year, Brought if you remember, well, people said, well, at least that year's over. You can't get any worse. <laughs> we proved them wrong. Because Aaron, Aaron, by the way, Aaron was the one we didn't fly commercial. So Bratzi had all the tickets and he had the responsibility of knowing the seniority. So if you had enough seniority, you got a window and middle. He had a tough, he had a tough, some tough decisions to make. But uh, one of the reasons why I brought that up was because I remember the airport in Edmonton. And Aaron, you might remember that. Do you remember? I'm sure you weren't a minus, but remember we got pounded 13 to four against the Oilers. And um, Wayne Gretzky called us the Mickey Mouse organization. Do you remember that game? Oh, yes. I I mean, I I don't remember the game particularly. I mean, we got beat 13 to four. I try to wipe the bad memories out of my mind, but I obviously remember the Mickey Mouse comment, which I'm sure he regrets. I mean, there's not much uh, sense of saying that, but, uh, and I remember the fans wearing the Mickey Mouse hats. I mean, to the, the, would have been when Edmonton came to play us, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it's it's one of those unique things in in devil's history that 
you know, they can look back on and say, oh, we won three Stanley Cups. Now we're not, you know, it, we took our lumps. And I mean, that's kind of one of the, I mean, it, it's kind of one of the nice things about, too, about playing back in those days is that, you know, we took our lumps, we took all the lumps and we didn't end up, you know, winning a Stanley Cup, but eventually they did. And so you, I mean, you can give yourself a little bit of credit and say, you know, maybe you were part of the building blocks of, of helping the organization get to where they were in 95 when they finally won, you know? Oh, so there's no question you were, you were part of the first team that went to the playoffs. What you talked about some in the first couple of years, there were some young players yourself among them who were doing some things that said, Hey, there, there's a heartbeat here, so to speak. That's not your quote. That's fine. When did you get a sense that, all right, more has been added. This is starting to churn the right way. And this team is now on the right path. Probably when Chico got traded. No, well, I think it would have, you know, probably been in the, in the mid eighties uh, when, like I said, some of the younger players got a, a, a little bit of time under their belt. Uh, you know, the, the Mullers, the Verbeeks, the Johnny McClain's, the Kenny Danico's got a couple of years under their belt. I mean, these kids were 18 year old kids when they came into, when they came into the play and sometimes they got sent back for a year, but you know, Brendan Shanahan was there for a couple of years and then you, you they found ways to bring in some, some, uh, other players that seasoned players that, you know, made trades for, but we had a pretty good nucleus of, of young players that uh, ended up all having great careers uh, in, in the national hockey, Joey Sorella, uh, you know, and then picking up some people from overseas and, you know, maybe bringing in some other key players, making some trades like for Patrick Sundstrom, uh, Mark Johnson, some of those, you know, players that, that filled in and, and did, and had good experience uh, that kind of got us over the hump and made us a better team uh, combined with, with, with some of that young talent uh, that, that, that we had. So it was, I mean, th those are fun years too. And it would have been nice to have kept all of those players together uh, and, and let them uh, mature. Uh, but pe other people saw the talent in them and, and the fact that, you know, maybe we can get them and, and give them some someone that has a little more seasoning and, and some of them got traded away. Yeah. Aaron, like you yourself, know. I'm sorry, Chico, I'll just interrupt here for a second. Oh. Someone like you who had been so successful, but experiencing more losing than you would have liked in the National Hockey League. What was the satisfaction then of being part of a team that finally broke through, went to the playoffs, not only went to the playoffs, but you go to the Eastern Conference final. It's a magical ride there had to be some sense of not that the losing was worth it, but the reward was finally there. Yeah. I, I think you forget a lot of the, you know, the hard or a lot of the uh, downs that you had in, in the previous years when, when all of a sudden you're, you're in the playoffs and you're doing well in the playoffs. And, and like you said, we, you know, we, we went to game seven and against Boston uh, you know, with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals, and and probably should have been, you know, had a a couple goal lead in that game uh, early on. I uh, just couldn't put pucks in the net. It, but th then then there's 
excitement in with the future. You know, you're thinking, hey, we, we're going to next year, next year is going to be our year. But I mean, you kind of learn very quickly too in pro sports that that might not be the case. You might have a good year one year and then the next year you might go through a stretch where you, you, you don't win many games in a, in a stretch and they trade a couple players and it's, it changes, but there, there was excitement. Well, Aaron, uh, you know, then. it's interesting you bring that up and I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I wish Maddie would have added this, but it's interesting. And I didn't know this till today, reading it after that Cinderella year where Johnny Mac scores, you guys make the yep. first playoffs. You have a good playoff run. You didn't make the playoffs the next year. Yeah. Have you wiped that from your memory? Because I, I was shocked that uh, that happened. You, but you know, I, I I guess if someone would have told me that, I'd have said I I I, I don't remember I don't remember it that that we didn't make the playoffs that year. I'd have to look at the things, and but I believe them that we didn't make the playoffs that next year. Um, but again, that's you know that's pro sports that that happens. I mean. You know, teams win the Super Bowl and then they don't make the playoffs next year. Mm -hmm. Teams, you know, it, it's it's probably happens more often than 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 it doesn't uh, where 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 that happens. But it was kind of like you mentioned earlier, Chico, that it was it was a unique night anyway. That last night when Max scored in Chicago to get us into the playoffs because I think it was the Rangers and Pittsburgh and us all had an opportunity to. And they, they kind of went like dominoes. I think I don't know which team was mm -hmm. first, but one of them finished first and they won. So they were in the playoffs and then Pittsburgh won their game. So I think so either that knocked the Rangers out or knocked Pittsburgh out one way. And then we won in Chicago in a different time zone to knock to end up being that team that finally made the playoffs. But, you know, another thing that a lot of people don't realize is that back back when we were playing in the Patrick division, there were six teams in our division. Right. And only four teams made the playoffs yeah. and there was five teams in the other divisions. So you had to have two, you know, two teams didn't make the playoffs in, in, in our division. So it, in, if you were in one of the other teams divisions, if one of the teams sucked, you might have made it into the playoffs just by default. Uh -huh. And that was not, you know, we had six teams in the Patrick division and four made the playoffs and the other divisions had five. So it's like now this, you know, system's different. And so it was. It, it, it was more difficult to make the playoffs in the Patrick Division than it was others. I think. Yeah, no, you're right. Good point, Aaron. In that in that playoff round, how close were you to either Kohorski or Schoenfeld? It's probably the most famous aspect of that when they got into. Did Schoenfeld push him? Did he slip? And then, of course, they had three off ice officials referee the next game. Uh, do you remember anything thinking anything while that was unfolding? No, if, if I can hear Shoney saying Shoney yelling his, you know, the famous, you know, uh, have another donut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can, I can, I can still hear him saying it. I, I, I don't know whether he slipped or, or, but, if I had was sitting in the jury stand, I'd probably say he didn't slip because, you know, just from knowing knowing him as a coach, I mean, he was an emotional coach. Uh, but it was a definitely a unique time uh, that that little episode of of the Devils, where uh, you know we then didn't have officials for uh, 
I don't know how long it was, a couple games or, or was it only one game, but it was, it was kind of, it was, it was kind of, it was unique and it was, it was part of, it was, it was one of the uh, funny parts of, of being associated with the devils at that time. But yeah, just, just wondering what the heck you thought when you saw that the off ice guys were wearing and they were different color sweaters. And here, here were these guys who loved the game and yeah. they served as off ice officials, but, this is his Stanley Cup playoff game. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I think we were kind of kept in the loop about what was going on, if I remember correctly. Is that you know we knew the officials were were kind of in a protest about you know they weren't going to go out uh, if if Schoenfeld was going to be able to coach and and so we were kind of kept in the loop and and you know then to the fact that we were going to have substitute officials, online officials, but then. I think if I remember right, you know, we kind of saw the people coming in and getting, uh, you know, the office officials and some people that you knew uh, that worked in the penalty box or the whatever that were coming in and putting on the, you know, the black pants. And, and they think they didn't even, I think they even only had practice jerseys on, you know, didn't they just wear <laughs> yeah, practice did. jerseys like a yellow and a something yeah. else, the yeah. linesman and stuff. And, and, and so you saw, you know, these people that, worked for USA hockey or whatever. And, and so it was like, wow, what's, you know, what's, what's this all about? I mean, they're, so it, it, it was, it was unique and uh, kind of funny, I guess, uh, to, to see it happen, but kind of cool that it happened too. So people can remember those things. Yeah. Speaking of unique, Aaron, and I just wonder your recollections, Tommy McPhee, as Maddie knows him and I know him, you know, him. he is one of the most unique people ever in hockey. And, um, uh, he gave some of the best press conferences. Kenny Danico loves Tommy McVie. Jan Ludwig, as you know, I just saw Jan. He was the first player to defect from a communist country to play for the Devils. But they all love Tommy. And I just wonder if you had any any recollections or some uh, different type of approaches that Tommy brought to the game. <laughs> well, Tommy was a unique coach. I mean, uh I think I got along well with Tommy. I mean, uh, he, he, he probably wasn't, uh, uh, geared towards college players. I mean, he used to say you can tell a college player, but you can't tell them much. Uh, was kind of one of the things he, he, he would, he would say, uh, he was an old school coach, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, the 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 stereotypical uh, player I think that he would want would have been a maybe a Western Canadian boy that played rough and and you know tough and and uh, that that type of player. Uh, but he loved the game. I mean, he was passionate about the game. And you know, I just I, I just remember the book we got. I probably I think I still have the book. You know, the the Bible that he handed out that you know gave you told you everything that you, know, you had to bring it to all the meetings and huh. and you had to, uh, it, it it just kind of went over the basics of hockey but it was something he used and and you know there was a, a, a page in there that talked about not being indispensable uh you know and, and it used to say you know take a bucket and fill it with water and put your hand in it up to the wrist pull it out and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. And, and, there, and there was more lines to it, but it was kind of like, you know what, Don't, we, we can get ready. Uh, uh, but I, I specifically remember one practice at Totoa, 
and we must have lost. And 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 Tommy was really demanding. I mean, he he wanted, uh, and 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 he told you that. And uh, you know, I, I think some of the, ca- the 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 captains, maybe it might have been Donnie Lever and a few other guys, went to him before, and said, you know what, you, you just got to ease up a little bit, and you know, you're putting too much pressure on people. And I don't know if you remember this, uh, Glenn, but uh, we were we were then at. He used, Tommy used to love to do two-on-ones, favorite, favorite drill in hockey, two-on-one. But he, he also wanted, he counted how many shots you got on net on two-on-one. And, you know, if you made a pass and it didn't get through, that wasn't good. Uh, so, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. So he was he would stand up in the penalty box because he was kind of a small guy. And he, w- he went inside the penalty box and he'd stand up on, uh, on the scorer's table and, and with his hands on the glass. And we did two-on-ones for about 15, 20 minutes, and he was counting, and then he got us all back in, and, and he gave us a speech about, you know, about the fact that he was counting, and, and we scored whatever, four goals in 20 minutes, and whatever the number was, and we got so many shots, and he says, but I don't want to put any pressure on you, you know, there's no, no, there's no pressure at all for you to, you know, get better, you just go out there and do what you want to do, you know. I can I can remember uh, Tommy just mimic. just kind of blaring that you know and then he would do push-ups while we were doing warming up and stretching he'd be in the middle doing push-ups and you know so he he was unique and and again a fun guy to be with and but a person that loved the game and uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah so that, that's kind of nice and still around the game which is great yeah yeah I remember I remember one thing I remember, you'd get mad if, if we look like, you know, we're losing our confidence or somebody said they lost their confidence. Confidence. What brought you should be imitating it because you do it way better. He's confidence. Okay. He said to whoever the trainer was, grab a bucket and go wherever they, they dispense uh, confidence, bring it back in for the boys. Just take a bucket and go get some. Like <laughs> He had these kinds of lines, but Aaron, as you remember, you know, one of the famous parts of devil's history and it's so far in the past, it doesn't matter. But we were up for the Mario Lemieux sweepstakes. And yeah. we were in dead last. We had that baby locked up. And then Max McNabb, the general manager, as Aaron said, brought in uh, Tommy McVie. And we weren't good. Now, if it was me as the general manager, and I'm not questioning Max, I would have said, look, it, get him in shape. Push him a little bit. I'll give you a job next year. But don't win. Don't start winning. Well, we're doing, remember, Bocce, we're doing two a days. We're doing weights that, during the season that we'd never done before. And he pushed us, you remember, until the last week. We just passed Pittsburgh. And, of course, they got Mario Lemieux. But it wasn't Tommy's fault because he didn't have a guarantee for the next year as, as a coach. So he's thinking, I, I can't, if, I, if they give me a five-year contract, I'll just let the boys, as he said, just play whichever way you want. Uh, but I always felt bad because he was caught in the middle. And then I don't think he made it to year two, did he, Bratz? You know, those things, I, I don't think Tommy McVie would have done anything different. I mean, regardless, I think he was going to do what he was going to do. But <laughs> whether he made it to the, the into part of the next year or not, I got for me to remember those things, I got to look at like DB hockey or something like that so I can see who coached <laughs> when. Because we went through a lot of coaches and even like players, you know, people ask you, you know, did you play with this person? And I'm like, I think I played with them in New Jersey. And I, you know, like, 
like I, I mentioned, you know, earlier that I was at Tommy Curver's funeral and I'm like, I know I played with Curves in New Jersey, but he played in Toronto too. And I played in Toronto and I thought I played with him in Toronto, but I didn't, I, I just missed him. He got traded to Vancouver right before I got there. So, I mean, you kind of, they, they kind of all get mushed together and, you know, was it, mm-hmm. Uh, who was coaching when and when did that take place? If I can, if I can, I got to go back and, and look and see, you know, who, yeah. who is where and when. So it gets, I don't do that. I mean, I, but to remember it, I would have to, I would have to go back and look. Yeah. I, I don't know, Matt, you were shaking your head just to help Bratzi here. So he doesn't have to go on the website to find it. I don't think Tommy made it. And I think Dougie Carpenter got hired that summer. But oh, the summer. Okay. Well, actually, um, he did make it through the following year, okay. and then Herb Brooks got hired. Mm. Herb Brooks got no. hired. No, because Maddie, I Herb, Herb Brooks was never my coach. Right. So we. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. It was Dougie Carpenter. I, Tommy came back another time. If you remember, you replaced um, John Cunn, if I, if I recall. And that was your, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, Herbie, you know, Herbie, first uh, time around, you're right. First time around, you're right. Yeah. Because I remember uh, why I say that some of the team went to Mr. McBullen and said, you know, Tommy's really a tough coach and da, 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 da. I, I don't know the details, but I was pretty sure that Dougie Carpenter got hired the next mm-hmm. year at the draft in Montreal. But uh, here's one thing, Bratzi, you better remember or else. So the first two years, we don't beat Philadelphia. And yep. it's, it's interesting because the, the Devils went through the cup a couple of times to beat Philly and win it. But we could not beat Philly. We could beat the Islanders and uh, the New York Rangers. And Aaron would know you went down to Philly and you went over the, the bridge it got quiet because it was always a war. But in Aaron, I just looked it up. Uh, it was uh, November, just because you remember these things. It was November 29th. They were going into the spectrum. We've never won. They're ahead, one nothing going into the third period. And then what happened? Bratzi, you took over. Do you remember the third? Uh, you know what? I only remember one of the goals I scored. Uh, but I, you know, I... I like I do remember the fact that I scored two goals in, in the first game in, in Philadelphia or the first win for the Devils in Philadelphia, but I I, I only remember one of the goals, which uh I well actually I think I remember it. It I could I mean I was coming down the off wing or which would have been the right side. I was left handed and I went low far side and scored. I don't know who was the goalie uh or anything, but I, I and I don't remember a whole bunch else. I just, I just, you know, know the fact that, uh, which I only have a few career highlights, and one of them would be the fact that I, I, I scored both goals in our first win in Philly. Uh, mm-hmm. Three minutes them. were left, Bratzi. Three what? minutes in the game, and I only say that because for the fans and for the players, right, Aaron, it, it was sweet beating the Rangers, but yeah. just internally, just to beat those stinking Flyers at that time was monumental. And you remember, uh, we, we just talk a couple more guys and then we'll go. We, we got to play with John Wensink and his nickname was Wire. And yep. it wasn't because, I don't think it was because he was Haywire. 
His yeah. hair was really kinky. And so his name was Wire. Uh, do you remember how tough he was? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I do remember how tough he was. And he was, you know, he, he just uh, epitomized the, the, the Western look with his, you know, big mustache and, and beard and <laughs> cowboy boots and, you know, uh, no teeth. Uh, he, he was a, he was the picture of a hockey player, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that, that you would picture coming out of uh, Canada uh, and that, but, you know, I, I, I kind of remember specifically he, him in, in practice and when some of the first Europeans were coming over and it's, uh, specifically Tapio Levo, who was, you know, a defenseman yes. from Finland and how hard he was on them. He, he didn't like the fact that these guys were coming over to take jobs away from uh, other, other people and, and the, the, the abuse that they would, you know, take from him and practice uh, slashing and, and whatever else. But he was, he was an old school player wire, but uh, he was, he was a fun guy to have on your team, uh, you know, for a, for a couple of years uh, and a unique and individual, obviously, you know, just being able to play in Boston like he did and with, with mm -hmm. that team and then coming to us, it was, it was, it was fun to, to have a little bit of an experience with some players like that. Yeah. Our, you you knew training. he was, he would back you up and on your team, except in practice, if you made him look bad, do you remember Brotsy? when he fought Dave Cameron in practice, I'll never forget it. And they rode together to the rink. And Dave told me later, I'm not throwing a punch because if I get lucky, he's going to be even madder. Like the bear is mad and poor yeah. Dave just trying to hang on. And right. There was no punches thrown, but wire probably just to give a message at the end of it. And everybody had long hair, put his hands through Dave Cameron because the helmets had fallen off through his hair. Boom. He pulled a tough of hair, threw it on the ice. I just was cringing. And Davey was rubbing his head like for about two days. Ow. And then, but they rode home together after practice and no hard feelings. And Bratzi, you know that. So yeah, they, it was, they, they, they probably technically stopped at the bar uh, on their way well, home they, <laughs> before they got home. Who knows in, in those days? But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, he, and probably he, wire made Dave buy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he. he I, I mean, I remember him from practice. Uh, you know, like you said. I mean, he was. He took things seriously, and and you didn't want to cross him anywhere. Uh, not not even in practice, because he like said if you got around him or did something, it was like he was going to lay the lumber on you, or he's going to do something. It didn't matter. If it was in practice, and you were his teammate. You were, nope. were going to pay the price. So no. He's now in St. Louis and he works with the Wounded Warriors hockey program. Rob Ramage, okay. an ex uh, Rocky, is Good. in charge of that. So he had a sure. great heart. Remember, yeah. his wife was a lawyer, which, you know, he did, he was good off the ice, but if he was off the ice the way he was on the ice, your wife would be good to have her as a lawyer because his, <laughs> his yeah. impulse control, let's put it this way, Brots, his impulse control never went very high. But I love playing with him, and he was loyal guy, and he was one of the characters. I guess Senior. you could describe him. You could describe him as a character. He was he was a unique character, right? <laughs> yes, yes. But Aaron, just to be wrapping up here, because another part of history that you were part of with the Devils and the Devils themselves was, you know, 
there was Jan Ludwig was the first devil that I knew re, de, uh, defected. The Stashny brothers defected, but none of the Russians. And the devils had they had drafted the Vyacheslav, uh, not Tretjak, but Fetisov. Uh, um, Fetisov. So yeah. you were there when he came over. Yeah. Can you just describe first his personality and and um, like was that the change where? You're talking about John Wensig not wanting uh, Europeans, but was that the change where they started to become accepted? Uh, could be. I mean, I remember I remember him coming over, and and there was a uh, they they brought over uh, uh, Starikov too. I think, I think as, a, mm-hmm. as a as a defenseman, uh, and then later Kasatanov came over. But uh, I mean, Fedosov had enough of a pedigree that. You know, he, he was probably the one of the premier defensemen in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, playing for the Soviet Red Army or whatever, and winning X amount of gold medals. So I, I, I think people kind of accepted him right off the get-go that he was le- a legitimate NHL player and and good enough to earn respect of of a lot of people. But still, uh, you know kind of was uh, a, a new frontier for uh, the National Hockey League uh, in, and kind of, again, another kind of a unique situation for the Devils. But I remember some of the wives talking about uh, not uh, Fedosov, uh, but uh, Sergei Starikov and his wife and them, the fact that they came here and were now in a free country and got to go to grocery stores that had were full and and they went and were going to help them out in their apartment or wherever they were living. And their house was like full of food because they had stocked up on everything. They went to the store and they bought, they could, they were able to buy everything. And, and they said, you know what, you don't have to, it's always going to be there. You know, you don't have to uh, stock up on stuff. So, <laughs> and he couldn't speak, uh, uh, Fedosov could speak English, but Sergei couldn't speak English. So, you know, for, for him to come over, was was a, to, a, a different situation. Uh, Fedosov had had been in the limelight a lot, but not Sergei Starkov. So it was, yeah, it was it was it was a un, unique time, and, and you know, Fedosov was was a great player. So he was he was well accepted. Yeah, he, Aaron. Just to finish up on this, yeah, it was it was like COVID where people were stocking up on uh, toilet paper. Starkov yeah. must have had that same experience. Yeah. But here was the other thing. Now, they're really good friends now. Maddie, you might remember Kasatonov, another terrific defenseman. But, Aaron, everybody knew those two guys were partners on the New Jersey Devils, defensive partners. Do you remember? And I heard, Aaron, off the ice, they they were not friends. Something happened when they were still back in Russia. They're friends now. But do you remember any kind of, you know, something going on between those two or you had to walk lightly or you know what I mean? You know, and I, I don't, I don't remember any, you know, any, anything in that regards. I mean, I guess if you wanted to uh, hypothesize or something, it would probably have been the fact that, you know, Fedosov was kind of the at, at the top in uh, as far as Russian defensemen, and Kasatonov was maybe the new guy that was going to knock him off that pedestal, and he was probably wasn't ready to to give up that. Uh, that position uh, so there was there was probably some conflict uh, there between 
you know, fed us off getting a lot more publicity or a lot more uh, accolades than Kasatonov. And Kasatonov was a, just a phenomenal defenseman. Uh, so mm. that was probably, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, I, I, sorry, Aaron. I know the story in Russia because I've heard it, but I didn't know. I just remember reading and hearing that, you know, these two great defensemen are playing together, but once they're off the ice, they're not talking. And what I heard was that, you know, remember Tikhanov, the Russian yeah. coach, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. Tyrant. Yeah. And Fatisov tried to organize a bit of a, a rebellion against him. And Kasatonov let it out of the bag to Tikhanov that this was occurring and that caused the rift. But I just was thinking more, you got two great players in the dressing room. Of course, they're not speaking English. I don't know if Kasatonov was, you, you, you wouldn't notice it, but that's what everybody outside the team was saying. Hey, these guys don't talk uh, other than. I, I don't think play. they, I don't think it affected their on ice play. So I'm, I'm, when they were on the ice, they played, uh, you know, to the, best of their ability i don't yeah yeah off the ice I, I i i don't know what was what was going on off the ice with with them anyway hey by, by that this? time i was going home to my wife and kids so yeah you know this though Bratsy? do you remember this and you're not getting it back both starikov and Vatisa were on the cover of sports illustrated oh. and you got it signed for me you might not remember that you gave me that program and i have it and it's worth like a lot of money, but I ain't giving it back, just so you know. Because Aaron and I were good friends, but I got to tell you guys something about Aaron. Aaron used to bug. He used to love to bug, and he knew he could push my buttons. Remember that game, that practice at Totowa? And Aaron was smart. Aaron was ahead of his time. I, I was a bit of a baby. Goalies were, keep the puck down, keep the puck down. Bratzi's saying probably, no, the best place to score is upstairs. Remember he hit me in the throat that one practice? Knocked my mask off? Do you... You didn't, yeah. You 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 probably weren't the. I mean, I'm gonna say this. I I know. Just say it. You might get mad. You no. probably weren't the best practice goalie in the world. <laughs> you, you know, you know how some goalies are. I mean, they'll be out there and they'll take as many shots as you can, and it doesn't matter what what happens. It's kind of what they do. But you were kind of gearing yourself towards the games and you know, maybe is you, you didn't like to get hit. You don't like when people shot high and no, no. But, and you hit me in the throat and yeah, then I had well, to chase you with my glove. Right. I'm throwing my bra. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. he's laughing as he's skating away. From I me. get, uh, our, our, uh, not, not our strength coach, but one of our coaches right in the forehead too, and split him open. Uh, he was, <laughs> he was tipping pucks in front of the net and he forgot to, I wasn't looking. I was shooting him from the blue line and he, he, he forgot to look and I just kept shooting and, and he looked up and I hit him right in the forehead and split him open. So I, I don't, I didn't have a lot of compassion for goaltenders uh, at, at all. So, you know, and you didn't like it if we passed it a couple of times in front of the net either, you know, it's like, Oh, now he slid it across. I came all the way over here and now he slid it back across especially in practice. And now I got to slide back over there. I'm just going <laughs> to let him score. So it was, uh, and it was easy to push your buttons. It was it like, was. you know what? Hey, there's a guy outside that's got an old chair from Montreal, you know, oh, and, he's wants it, and he wants, yeah. and he wants, he wants to sell it. You know, what, where, where is he? What, what does he look like? Where, you know, you do you know, was it a red? Do you know what color it was? Was it red? Was it, was it a blue, blue. one? Yeah. 
Well, he, that's the other thing he did, you guys. So we're in Toronto. I come in. Brat says, hey, one, one of the guys that work here, one of the off-ice guys, you know, the, the ice man or whatever, he's got a chair. He, and I said, well, well where is he? he? I think he's down at the other end. Da, 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 da. And this is, I mean, I, I, this is embarrassing because you show, show you my priorities. Getting ready for the game or finding that collectible chair for Maple Leaf Gardens. <laughs> I ran around the gardens looking for that guy. There was no guy. I come back in the dressing room and Bratz has told everybody they're just a howling. And so Aaron was a lot of fun to play with. I don't know how much fun to play against the goalies that he lit up. I'm sure would say not much, but Aaron, uh, I don't know, Maddie, you got one more. I mean, Aaron and I have remained really good friends. Our wives are best friends. So uh, Aaron's been a big part of my life and I thank him for doing this, but if you got one more, Maddie, or a wrap up, you. No, I love the way it ended. Uh, good friends uh, jabbing at each other and sharing some good memories. And Aaron, the uh, stroll, if you will, down memory lane was terrific for me. I know for our listeners, and it probably went a little longer than you might have anticipated, but the stories were that good. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's 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 been awesome. The, you know, the Devils are a big part of my 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 hockey career and, and it was it was fun being being there for all those years so thanks to everyone and hello to all the devils fans couple of things stand out among that long conversation and it was great that he shared so much with us still bothers him that Adina beat Roseau high school back in the day it still bothers him there is still that regional minnesota rivalry it, it it's still stuck in his craw that was one thing that stood out isn't that the truth maddie i mean when you're the top team in the high school uh, uh, league all year. Every And back then, Maddie, it didn't matter if your school had 50 kids or a thousand, you, you, the, the little schools went against the big boys. And I remember it. There was no way Rosa was going to lose. And obviously uh, they had Neil, Butsy Erickson, and then uh, uh, Aaron and we don't want, you know, the wounded, like you said, Matt, the wound was still so raw. I'm not going to start to dig in to see, how did you lose that, Aaron? Because they were just so stacked. But um, but anyway, you're right. There's Aaron, who is not very emotional or wasn't back then uh, in this podcast, I thought showed some, some emotion that I hadn't seen before and some feelings. And uh, so, yeah, that was, <laughs> you could see that clearly. And he is well-remembered in the sport of hockey for his own accomplishments. And as you mentioned, part of three brothers who played in the NHL. In fact, Neil played for the Devils and was part of the first Stanley Cup championship team. So the Broughton family has their role in New Jersey Devils history. But what I like about what you're doing is you're bringing some of the first-time New Jersey Devil players, if you will, into the podcast. And I think in life, we just want to be remembered. You know, it's fine to talk about the Cups. It's fine to talk about the Jack Hughes and the Nico Heeshers. But there was a beginning. And it wasn't always easy. But Aaron was the part of that team that also went to the very first playoff game uh, for the New Jersey Devils and eventually to the Eastern Conference Championship. And so I think he appreciates the fact that you brought him back to talk about those days. Good point, Matty. Uh, Kenny Danico didn't play much that year. He broke his leg. Aaron probably is the only devil, Maddie, that well obviously came from Colorado 
played full that full season and was still around when they made the playoffs. Probably the only guy on that team. Everybody else came a little later. So I never thought of that, but but that is a nice connection. And, you know, when he says he loved um, New Jersey and Ridgewood, his kids were born there, Mary, his wife, they loved it there. Uh, and uh, loving any place but Rozo for the Broughton boys says a lot. So he, he really did love New Jersey. And like you said, he was one of the building blocks. And early on leading the team in, in scoring, but also in his time with the Devils, and eventually he was traded in 1990 to the then Minnesota North Stars uh, before he wound up wrapping up his career, played for a few more teams after that. But at any rate, through all of that, coming over in that first year and having his Devils time come to an end in 1990, he put up enough points and assists where he's in the top 10 in Devils history in both categories. So he he had it. He had the skill in addition to being one of the first-timers, if you will. Well, you know, it's very interesting, Maddie. Neil Broughton was a gorgeous skater, and he had skill. Aaron Broughton wasn't a gifted skater, but he had brains, and he was very nifty. And if you will remember, I can still remember him just driving me crazy, like putting the puck in the net when I wasn't looking, or he's got the puck, we're doing this drill, it comes right to the – to the right me, him and me, one-on-one – and he'd fake it, and then he'd just put it off to the side. Well, I didn't get anything out of it because we were supposed to go one-on-one, but he would just be chuckling. He would just drive me crazy, and we were friends. But I think Aaron's whole mindset playing hockey was, I can't just do it on skill like my brother. i got to have a few little little quirky stuff going on uh, to score. And I'll just say this, Maddie. But when he, Jeff Larmer, Steve Larmer's brother, and Paul Gagne, and they called him the kid line, and we went on our little run there, maybe like a four-game winning streak, doesn't matter, it wasn't long. But they, they were best line, you know, in hockey at that time. But unfortunately, Paul either got traded, he didn't last, and Jeff never, and the line broke up. But one of the, the high moments of that season well, I'm so glad that you were able to bring your good friend to the table. And it was, uh, it was a well-spent uh, hour or more. Really enjoyed it, Chico. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Manny. It's always good to do these things and, you know, keep it for part of history, you know? Ab- absolutely. You, you got to know where you came from. That's, Bingo. That, goes, that goes for all of us. And on that note, we'll wrap things up. Special thanks to Aaron Broughton for joining us. Thanks to my good friend, Chico Resch. Uh, actually, you ran the show. I was just kind of your your side man. I was your wingman in this. Security and that is blanket, by though. Me. Uh, You're my security <laughs> blanket if I, if I messed up. It, it was great to hear you two talk. I was just sitting back enjoying it. And thank you so much to all our listeners. We appreciate your company as always. Until next time, thanks for listening to Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Be safe, be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.